Good evening. Good evening, everybody. Well, we're going to continue in Exodus. I'm going to ask you to stand as we'll read uh, God's Word. We'll pray first, and then we'll talk about resting in worship. Father, we thank you again for your Word. Your Word is truth, Lord. You alone have the words of life. You have the words of truth, and you desire that we worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord God. So we just ask, Lord God, as we look at these laws on resting and worship, that we would be encouraged, we would be strengthened, Lord God, that it would cause in us a desire to, to pay more close attention as we're, we're told through the book of Hebrews, um, as we learn tonight, Lord, that we are to pay attention to all the words that you say. So encourage us, strengthen us in the inner man. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our text tonight is found in Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 to 19. This is what God says to us tonight. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yields. Gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the sons of your, man, of your servant woman and, and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you, and you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for, it, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest on the, of the first fruits of your labor of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leaven or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of the ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, so another set of laws as we are in the book of laws. Exodus is the law, the giving of the law, uh, the book of the covenant. And we see here laws about Sabbaths and festivals. I've named it resting and worship. Let's look first at resting. Who, what, what are the commands for? We'll see that the, it's for the land. It's for people, and it's for animals. Land, people, and animals. He says, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But on the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what you leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. We get a fuller understanding of this in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verses 1 to 7. He says this, the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Well, that gives us a clue. We should just stop there. Where are all these laws given? On Mount Sinai, right? From God. These are not word laws that were written like the Ten Commandments, but these were words that were spoken to Moses. <clears throat> Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when, I come, when you come into the land that I give, when I give you, you shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. 
For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land will provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired worker and for the sojourner who lives with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in, all, that are in your land. All its yields shall be for food. Well, if you look at that on the service, you say, so you're telling me, God, that if on the seventh year, six years plant, gather in the crops. On the seventh year, plant nothing, gather nothing. Doesn't seem to make sense, does it? You got a nation. What would happen to America if, if every seventh year, no, the farmers didn't plant corn or wheat, right? We'd starve to death, right? There'd be a crisis like we wouldn't believe. Um, I don't know if we'd starve to death, but uh, there would be a crisis, what are these laws about? What, what, why would God say to give the land a rest for one full year? And is it really all the crops? So nobody did any farming at all in all of Israel on the seventh year. I don't think that's the case. I think it would make sense, uh, more, it would make more sense to say, for the farmer to say, you know what, this year is the Sabbath rest for barley. Next year is the Sabbath rest for wheat, right? Because if they were to stop all production of food, all growing and harvesting of food, it would be a real disaster. But God gave it, he says, for the express purpose that we would care for the land, we would care for people, and we would care uh, for animals. He says in there, he says, for you do it so that the poor can go in. Now, God had always provided a way for the poor to eat, Whenever they did harvest the field, God said, around the edges, you're not to harvest. That is for, be the, for the poor. They were allowed to go in and gather uh, what fell behind, what was left behind. Here, they have access to the entire crop. The entire crop, whatever grows uh, uh, that year, the poor of the land have access to. And once they've taken, he says, now the beast of the field, the beast of the field, Cattle, essentially cattle, will be able to go in and eat what is left. And after them, the beasts of the field. So we see, pe we see land, people, and animals. Why is it good for the land? Well, we, we nowadays have fertilizer, right? And, and we can cause ground to produce more and more through fertilizers. Uh, there's debate whether that's good for you or not. It doesn't, I'm not in, getting into that tonight. Um, but they didn't have fertilizers back then. The only fertilizer they had was throwing uh, cow manure on it. Um, but it would be good for the land to let it rest for a year and then plant the next year. It would get, uh, the grasses would grow, weeds and stuff, but it would have produced nitrogen. It would make the soil better to let it sit for one year. God knows what he's doing. When he gives a rule, he says, do it because he knows what's, I mean, he did create the earth, right? So he knows how it works. Um, <clears throat> but it's also, and I think Philip Graham Riken is correct here, it's also the idea that it's a picture of redemption, of the land being redeemed. The whole world is under a curse. And this is a picture of redemption. Uh, he writes this in his commentary. He says, when God gave us the, crea gave us the creation for food, 
He wanted us to receive it as a gift that requires the best of our care. The whole creation bears the effects of God's curse against our sin, and it is only right for us to work for its redemption. We should care about the land. You care about the land, you care about people, you care about animals. Now, are we to worship nature? Absolutely not. Um, is, are we to be good stewards of God's creation? Absolutely. Christians should be the best conservationists. They should be the best because we have an understanding of God creating the world and God telling us to take care of it. Should we fall off in the worship? And, 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 and no, because that's a, you know, Romans chapter 1 warns us that people have turned and worshiped a creation rather than a creator. We are to, uh, that's, you jumped ahead too much. Um, <clears throat> we're not to worship the earth. We're not to worship animals either when it comes to the environment to put animals above people. That goes against God's created, created order. He made animals first, he made man last, but who is the chief of his creation? It's mankind. Who did God give authority over all animals to? To mankind. We're not to worship animals either. So he says, every sixth year, you are to let it rest. You're not to do anything. Then he says, because this is a picture, of, on a, uh, this is a larger picture uh, uh, of what he says you're to do weekly. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman, the son, the son of your servant woman, and the alien may be refreshed. This is more specifically for animals and people. God says there is to be one day in which you are to do nothing. One day in which you're to do nothing. Mike expanded on it when we did the, uh, you shall keep the Sabbath day holy. Um, it is a day in which we now know that we worship God. We come and we worship God. We give praise to God. We give offerings to God. We hear from God. Um, it is to be a Sabbath day of worship to God for us. Back then, it was to be a day in which they rested. They were not to do anything. They lived in a society where they worked hard. You needed to work hard to survive. If you, if you were lazy back then, too bad for you. Um, they worked hard, and they needed a day of rest. God knows our bodies. God knows our frame. He says, rest. Let the land rest. You yourselves are to rest, and you let everybody else in your household rest. It's, it's what I command. It's what's best for you. God, so to make this point clear, God puts a warning to it. He says, you better listen to letting that land rest uh, every seventh year, and you better listen to keeping the Sabbath. He says in verse 13, pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. How is that a warning? He says, pay attention, Sahmar, to keep, to watch, and to guard. What are they to guard? All that God has said. Now, some commentators say it goes all the way back to the beginning of what God was talking about in all the laws regarding neighbors and sexuality and bestiality and all those fun topics that John got to cover. Um, I believe here it's specifically about the Sabbath, the Sabbath rests. 
God warns later on in the book of Leviticus, if you do not listen to me concerning the land and Sabbath, I'm going to make sure the land have its Sabbath rest. In Leviticus 26, verses 34 to 35, it says, Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath's rest. Sabbath as long as it lies desolate. Well, let's stop there for a second. Why does he say that? Because all prior to that, read Leviticus 26. He says, if you harden your heart to me, I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to do And if you still don't listen, I'm going to do this to you. And then I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do this. And the last choice is that I'm going to take you out of the land. I'm going to so destroy the land before I take you out of it that nobody else will want to go in and inhabit it. And that will be the Sabbath rest for the land. God says that then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's lands. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbath. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. God said, make sure you listen to what I'm telling you. Make sure this land every seven years you rotate your crops or let your field lie, lie fallow. Don't plant it. Don't do anything to it. History has shown us that the children of Israel did not listen to God. The Babylonians have come in. The Assyrians have already taken away the northern tribes of, of, of Israel. Judah is left. And the uh, Babylonians come in and they take them out. We know the stories of Daniel. We know their return in Ezra and Nehemiah. But God says this in 2 Chronicles 36, 21. Why did God take them out of the land? To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land has enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. 70 years. They were in captivity, because, partly because they failed to obey God in how they are to go about farming, how they are to do their gardening. God says, pay very careful attention to what I say. Joshua told the children of Israel the same exact thing. Be careful to observe the commands and the law that Moses, the servant, the Lord commanded you to love, your, to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. See, when God tells us to do something and we sit there and go, that makes no sense to me. Why would I do that? Do it. Do it because God knows what's best. God cares about us. He cares about land. He cares about animals. He cares about people. He knows what's best. And, the, and, and just in a pure fact that if I don't understand what God is, why is God telling me to do this? This makes no sense to me, yet I know God is telling me to do it. Do it because obedience is its own reward. Obedience is his own reward. David in Psalm 19, where he talks all about how the heavens declare the glory of God and how incredible creation is. If you remember, we, we, st we spent a, a significant amount of time in Psalm 19 uh, many years ago talking about this. And in, and in that Psalm, he talks about the, the statutes of the Lord, the rules of the Lord, and how wonderful they are and how great they are. And he says this in Psalm 19 11, he says, 
Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. What would be the great reward for the children of Israel? He says, if you follow me and listen to me, you know what you'll have? You'll have plenty of food. You'll have plenty of food for you, for animals, and even the wild animals. That's what God said. Obey me and you will have plenty. There is great reward in obeying God. There's great wisdom in obeying God. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 7, 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. Why is it important to listen to God? What is God telling the children of Israel here? What would he be telling us today? This is how you are to worship me. Everything we do is an act of worship. You really believe that? You really believe that everything you do is an act of worship? How you drive is an act of worship? How you eat is an act of worship? How you, what you name it, it's an act of worship. That's why Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, says this in Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, what's not included in whatever? Nothing, Right? In deed, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This was worship unto the Lord. That's the Sabbath rest. Now he turns to the idea of festivals or feasting. He says, three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. Three times. Three times. Three times a year they had to go to church. Is that what God is saying? No, absolutely not. They had weekly worship. They had daily sacrifices. They had weekly sacrifices. Um, <clears throat> but there were three specific times out of the year that they were to keep a feast, a special feast to God. Verse 15 tells us, You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. What is this idea of unleavened bread? Exodus 12, we read this. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the second, seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Well, that's pretty hardcore. For this period of this feast, if you have any leaven whatsoever, you are to be cut off. That literally means to be killed. Literally cut off by being killed. You are not allowed to live. Many Jews take this so serious today, even today, that they have two separate kitchens within their own home. They have a completely kosher kitchen. There's no leaven. There's nothing in it. You will see that they will go throughout their house when it comes to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They will sweep. They will clean. They, will, they just don't want any leaven around whatsoever. Again, why is God selling this? What is this pointing to? What's the big deal about leaven? Well, unleavened bread, as we know it, is matzah, right? Matzah. It means flatbread. It means without yeast. Or that which is sweet uh, could also mean it was unfermented. 
Well, the Bible always tells us what the meaning of leaven is. It's a picture of sin. It's the picture of sin, of being stained. Jesus said to the disciples when they were wondering about bread, you remember they were in the boat and they said, well, man, we didn't bring any bread with us. What are we going to do? And then Jesus says to them, and he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they're sitting there going, what are you talking about? And we're talking about bread. What are you talking about? The leaven of the Pharisees. What was the Pharisees' issue? It was works. We're going to earn our way to God. What's the leaven of Herod? Worldliness. Total worldliness. Buying into the culture of this world. Listening to the world. Letting the world affect your relationship with God. Letting works affect your relationship with God. Worshiping the right God in the wrong way is the leaven of the Pharisees. We are to avoid sin. We are to obey God and worship Him as He tells us to, not as I want to. Because if it was how I wanted to, I would be in bed right now. I wouldn't be here. Or I'd be eating a cheeseburger. Um, I wouldn't be doing what God wants me to. I'd be doing what I want to do. We're to worship in sincerity and in truth, Paul says. Paul, talking to the church in, in Corinth about the, 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 the man who was having his, his, his stepmom um, in a relationship, and he says this, he says, your boasting is not good. See, they thought they were proud of themselves for being gracious and tolerant. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Notice the whole church was affected by this. Cleanse, cleanse out the old leaven that you, you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Why? For Christ, the Passover lamb has been sacrificed. You're made clean through the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Goes right along with worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. Get rid of leaven. When he says you're not to have leaven, you're not to have sin. You're not to be influenced by the world. Um, you're to come to me as I say, in obedience. The second festival is that of harvest. 23, uh, 16a. He says, you shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor of what you sow in the field. In other words, the first portion was to go to God. But again, why would he say that? It points to something future. It points to something. First of all, God gave it. God gets first dibs. You know, and you know what I mean by that. We are to give to God. God first. How do you manage? One of the, if you're a Christian, one of the ways you should manage your finances in your home is when you, when you do your bills... God should be the first guy that gets paid over MasterCard. Over MasterCard. God should always be paid first. And you know what I mean by paid? It's an act of worship to give to God. Give God the first and the best of what you have. The amount, that's between you and God. But God should be, for lack of a better term, paid first. 
You're to give the first fruits. What do the first fruits point point to? It points to Jesus Christ. Paul says it this in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So when you see first fruits, it's a picture of Jesus being the first to be raised among the dead. And so that we too will be raised among the dead. Because I live, you also shall live. Then he says, you shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year. When you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. So the harvest has come. Now they're, they're, uh, they're harvesting the field, right? It was, it was at the barley harvest. You remember that um, uh, Ruth came into Boaz. At the harvest, they're, they're cutting down the fields and they're bringing everything in. This was to happen actually 50 days after the festival of first fruits. Again, that is pointing something to a gathering in of the harvest. It points to a God gathering in His people, bringing His people in. And it was at the at the at the, the day of Pentecost, fifty days after the the the, uh, the festival, that the Holy Spirit came upon the church, where God was beginning to gather in. His people. God is still gathering in His people. Throughout the world, people are being saved. People have yet, who have yet to be born, God has marked for salvation, and they are going to be saved. And when, when the Lord returns, the Lord will return when the last person to be saved is born or become saved from our, our view of it. But on the day of Pentecost, it says this in Acts 2, 1 and 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire, divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. God, on the day of Pentecost, the day of the Holy Spirit came, began to gather in his people by sealing them with the Holy Spirit. These are festivals in which people are to rejoice in. God says rejoice in these festivals. It is a time to celebrate what God is doing. Deuteronomy 16, 14 says, You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. It is to be a good time. It is to be a festival. It is not to be a, a, a fleshly time, just having a ball in our flesh. and lay. No, it's to be a worshipful, joyful time. Let me ask you, is worship joyful to you? You worship the Lord with joy. Worship the joy, the Lord with gladness. Are you happy to come into the house of the Lord? Are you happy to worship God? Are you happy to read God's word? You get up in the morning like, oh man, all right, I gotta do this. Um, I get it. Sometimes we're still like, oh man, we push through. But are we rejoicing in the Lord? You know, God rejoices in you. If you're his child, he rejoices in you. How could we not rejoice in our Lord and Savior? He says again, three times in the year, you shall, shall all your males appear before the Lord your God. Why the males? It's God chauvinistic. No, God made a divine order at creation of who is the prophet, the priest, and the king of the home, and who is not. The man is to be the prophet, the priest, and the king. 
The male is the one who is the lead. Not that the woman is lesser, but he is the lead. And so the male was to appear before God and do the sacrifice on behalf of himself and of his family. The males were to meet God three times a year. In other words, those, these are feasts of pilgrimage where they would go to Jerusalem, right? They would go to Jerusalem, and <clears throat> that's why Jerusalem was filled when Jesus went over to celebrate the Passover three times a year. In other words, the importance of who God is. God is to be, we're to be mindful of God in everything that we do. God says, when you come, this is how you're to come. This is how you're to celebrate. This is how you're to give the sacrifice. Verse 18, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened. He's repeating himself. Make sure you don't have any leaven here. The blood of my sacrifice is not to be tainted with anything. Or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. In other words, you're to eat it all or burn it all. Isn't that what God said about the Passover? He said to the children of Israel, either you eat it all or you put it all in a fire. Whatever you don't eat, put it in a fire. Nothing is to be left. All is to be given unto God. Verse 19, and we'll finish with this. I know we're a little bit early tonight, but that's okay. It says, The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. The best. The best. You know, give, give to God the best. Give to the church the best. It, you know, it, in, in just years of ministry, and it's, it's, it's funny, but it's not funny. You know, if we were to say, you know, we would like some furniture for the, the you know, the, uh, the new hallway over there, uh, some seats, maybe a sofa, whatever. I know, inevitably, and it's by good intention I get it. You know, oh, I got a used sofa at my house. <laughs> really? Why don't you guys buy got a new sofa? You know what I'm saying? Give God the best. You may have a really great sofa, but give God the best. I don't think anybody, I think people here would buy a new sofa. But you understand what I'm saying? Well, you know, how often are we cheap with God? Cheap with God with our time. Cheap with God with our resources. Where God has never once been cheap with us, has he? He's given us Jesus Christ. He's given us the absolute best. And our giving is to be sacrificial. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. And by the way, do you know what, the, what those, those went to? The best, the first fruits of the ground shall bring into the house. You know who actually profited from that, who ate from that? It was the priests. That's how the priesthood got fed. If it wasn't for the people bringing it in, the, peace, the priests would not be able to eat. Right? Remember, they were given no inheritance in the land. They had no land whatsoever. They had no portion that was theirs except what the people bring. Now, I'm not telling you that so you bring in more, so I have, you know, that's not what I mean by it. But the principle still stands. That you want to provide the best for the leadership that is paid within the church. And I hate saying this kind of stuff because I know, oh, you're just promoting, you're just, you know, padding your own pocket. No, I'm not. It's what God says. 
You don't want me to have to go get a second job, I hope, because you want me to concentrate on studying the Word of God and bringing the Word of God. We want to give our best. It benefits the entire church, not just uh, me, the entire church. Well, enough with that, because that's such an uncomfortable subject for me. But then God says this. This is what you're to do. This is how you're to do it. The best of the first fruits you're to bring to the, into the house of the Lord your God. And then he says, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Wait, what? you just made a massive turn here, God. What happened? Like we were talking about fruits, resting, and all of a sudden you say, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Have you ever read that and looked at it and go, what does that mean? What, what's he talking about? All along, God has been talking about the value of life, the life of the land, the life of people, and the life of animals. Think about how cruel it would be to take a goat that you slaughter to eat and you boil it in its mother's milk. The very one that gave its life, you are now using its milk to bring its death. It's just inhumane. God cares about life. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, what kind of psychopath would do that? Apparently, they would do that. Matter of fact, the Canaanites actually would. That was the Canaanite practice. Now, maybe it gave flavor to the meat. I don't know. God says don't do it because there's just something cruel about it. It's not how, how God wants us to be. Don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk. That's just cruel. You're going to offer a young goat? You offer the young goat. You're going to eat a young goat? Eat it. But don't, don't, don't use its mother's milk as the instrument of which you bring about its death. Which is why God says, let's just step back a minute. He says, you shall not, sorry. He says, you shall not, uh, <clears throat> six days, uh, 13, pay attention to all that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Again, the part of worship here is that we're not to worship God as the way the world may. God told the children of Israel very clearly, says, when I send you into that land, I don't want you to look at their gods. I don't want you to inquire about their gods because the second that you start doing that, you're going to say, oh, I want to worship my God that way. And what happened to the children of Israel? One of the main reasons which Babylon came is because they were idolatrous. They did not heed what God says. God says, listen, this has nothing to do with other gods. Matter of fact, don't even talk about them because it's not beneficial for you. Don't even let it be on your lips. Let my name be on your lips. And when my name is on your lips, you better be very careful how you say my name. I will not hold guiltless the one who misuses the name of the Lord. God has these laws obscure to us. They're for agrarian society. Maybe we don't understand it, but God has them for a purpose. All of them is to point to Jesus Christ and for how God wants to be worshipped. So hopefully we learned a little bit about the Old Testament law, about pointing to Christ and to worshiping God as he tells us to. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your laws, Lord. And I thank you that... Um, You gave us these laws for our benefit. 
You tell us to pay attention. Lord, no, I don't have a field and I'm not bringing in a harvest. But Lord, thank you for the principle of giving you our best. May I give you my best. The best in my time, the best in my effort, the best in my thoughts, the best in my actions. May we all. May we desire to give you the best. You deserve the best because you are the best. Help us, Lord God, to be people who reflect your character and your nature. People who care. People who are kind, compassionate, as your word tells us to be. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Let's close in a song. throw little curveballs, we're going to do two songs. Um, the first one, Trust and Obey, when we listen to the piano, he's going to do this little thing, so you'll hear it's like, da -na 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 -na. It's, so don't just jump into it, all right? All right, Trust and Obey. You can follow it along in your hymnals. It's 571. Um, we will not sing verse 4, though. We will sing, I believe he does 1, 2, 3, and 5. All righty. Be happy 
trust and obey. Told you, little curveballs there. All right, let's flip over to 572. As long as we trust and obey, we will always have blessed assurance. And that will be a cappella, so we don't have to worry about any keynotes there. So 572, Blessed Assurance, we will sing all three verses. All right? Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Verse 2, perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Verse 3, perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And then let's just close with praise God from whom all blessings throw, flow, doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.